creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I am your host, Andy J. Pizza. This episode, I want to talk to you about the feeling of the universal hamster wheel of death. Does, does anybody just feel like we're just reliving the same thing over and over and over again? Look, on a global scale, I'm not sure I can really speak to that or help you, but on the creative journey scale, if you feel like you are kind of in this perpetual state of repeating the same thing over and over, you're making tons of effort every year, but you're not really seeing any significant progress, that is one of the most discouraging things in the world. I hate when you get stuck in a kind of loop you know, it really, uh, it, it really kills my enthusiasm when I feel like all of my efforts aren't really changing anything. You know, I've tried a different strategy uh, 18 times and I'm still not, you know, gaining any traction on Instagram or TikTok, or I've changed what I've done a hundred times. I've done 10 different book proposals. It's not working. No matter what I'm doing, it's not working. And it feels like you're just on this hamster wheel where all the effort you're making is completely meaningless and I've actually come to feel like it's not a hamster wheel where it's just going round and round and round again it's more like one of those uh, you know claw games that pick up the candy not the stuffed animal one but the candy one and it's the kind where you get to keep doing it until you've won a prize you ever have one of those like it lets you keep playing until you've actually picked something up that's what it feels like it's like a hamster wheel where the prize is going around over and over and over and you get to stay on there until you actually grab it you know this idea of the universe is going to keep teaching you the same lesson until you learn it and in this episode i want to tell you about 10 different lessons all of which represented this significant upgrade once I'd really, truly not just learned these lessons kind of in a cognitive like, oh yeah, that sounds good, but embodied them and put them into my everyday and kept them close to my practice. In the last episode, we talked about the power of the checklist and how doctors and pilots need checklists. The most, you know, do or die most important things in the world can be easily forgotten. And so today I want to share the 10 things that I think are really the backbone of my practice, the backbone of what it means to approach the creative journey in the kind of creative pep talk style. These are the 10 ideas that I want to build this show on and, and encourage you to build your practice on. They're all things that help me break out of individual hamster wheel moments for myself. So if you are sick of, you know, the insanity of trying the same thing and expecting different results. This episode is for you. If you've been on the hamster wheel and you're just absolutely sick of it, I hope one of these ideas, I hope all 10 of them, but I hope just at least one really unlock something for you today. And I hope you can keep these things close to you. If you get out of whack, this episode's supposed to be something you can revisit over and over and over and make sure these things are all like firing strong in your practice. 
really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Okay, this episode is an episode I'm incredibly excited about. This is our 10 rules of a thriving creative practice, 10 rules, 10 ideas, 10 guidelines that will help you stay unlost on your creative journey and continually make progress, not just now, not just in the short term, but in the long haul. You know, I wanted to do this episode for a few different reasons. Yeah, these are things that we're always talking about on the show, but they're they're hard to remember on a daily basis when you're facing, you know, the bad mood, the bad day, the setback, the opportunity you wanted that you didn't get, jealousy, comparison, FOMO, all the different things that throw you off your path and hurt your mindset as a creator. It's really hard to keep this many things in your brain, but I wanted to create an episode that was a reference for the 10 most essential ideas of this show, both as a refresher, but also to dive deeper into each one of them and for you to have it as a quick reference when you're feeling completely off track, when you're feeling like, oh, I'm getting obsessed with follower count. I'm getting obsessed with the accolades. I forgot why I care about this. I forgot what I'm doing. I want you to have this episode. And I also want you to have this episode. If you're trying to get someone into creative pep talk and they're like, what is creative pep talk? What the heck is this Andy J pizza guy? Who cares about this guy? Why is he like a Brooklyn guy who doesn't want to listen to this podcast? I don't know. But if you have that friend you've been trying to get into the show, this is a great show to send them to because it really 
explains what it means to approach your creative journey through the lens of creative pep talk ideas. So these are my 10 rules of a thriving creative practice. I was inspired by people like Sister Corita Kent, the screen printing nun activist, you know, just total badass creator from back in the day. Dieter Rams had his, I think, 10 principles of good design. I'm a huge fan of Mac Barnett and Carson Ellis and John Klassen and all those people that did the picture book proclamation. These are their rules for great picture book making. And I just wanted to feel like, well, I re- I've been working on this list for a long time. Uh, and I think it gets to the heart of what this show's all about. Now, one little disclaimer. I'm also a little bit of a postmodernist. And so rather than saying, these are the 10 truths and nailing them to the door, I'm not dogmatic like that. I'm saying, you know, in the same way that postmodern philosophers might do, they suppose that this is not about getting to truth because with our limited faculties, we can't possibly lay claim to truth in its essence. I mean, who knows how we've evolved to perceive reality. Is it anything like what we are seeing? Probably not. And so these are just 10 concepts. You know, modern philosophers don't think about truth as much as they think about concept creation, like ideas that serve you, that help you. I'm also constantly, you know, falling back on the Niels Bohr quote of the opposite of a profound truth might be another profound truth. You know, I think there's there's totally different ways to have a thriving practice that fall outside of these 10 rules. But these are the ones that I continually come back to that help me get unlost in my creative journey consistently. And they're the things that I see the kind of creators that I want to be like embody. And when I talk about those people, they're people that you might not know. They're people like Allison Jones, who casted Fresh Prince and The Office and Freaks and Geeks and Parks and Rec and all your other favorite shows like um, casting director, brilliant, creative mind that can, that has this power, you know, there are people like Chris Rock who goes through comedy, is on Saturday Night Live, still doesn't really find his groove and then figures out that the way that he's going to control his destiny is to become a stand-up comic where all he needs is himself and a stage and some people and he's good and becomes a legend in that way and just, you know, continues to practice over the long haul and get better and get more nuanced and, and find new different aspects of his creativity as a, as he directs and writes. And I just think, This is the kind of creator I want to be. I want to live a creative life over the long haul and in, you know, have breakouts all along the way, but always be on the journey, always finding fresh new breakthroughs. And how do you do that? Well, I think you have to do a bunch of things that run contrary to the popular opinion and and mythology and ethos of what we think creativity is all about. You know, young superstars and uh, magic and and just like uh, all these things that are completely out of your control. I want to say no to those and yes to these 10 things. Let's get into them. If you're a long time listener, I just challenge you because 
you probably have heard a lot of these things, but I guarantee you've forgotten a lot of them. And even as I was working through these things and compiling this list, I found that certain ones were exactly what I needed to hear right now. So if you need to get a little, you know, Carl Jung, synchronistic, metaphysical on it, do it. Use this episode not as a download of information that you've never heard, but use it as which of these do I need to hear today? Which of these do I need to remember and implement? And what kind of fresh version of that can I take from this episode? Because I believe that all along the path, these are things that when I remember them, they give me an aha kind of clarifying moment. All right, number one is... Booby traps mean treasure. We talked about this on one of the most popular episodes of the show. One of my favorite episodes is the idea that, you know, like the Goonies and like the people on the History Channel from Oak Island, you know, when they find a booby trap, when they hit conflict in their search for buried treasure, they don't think, oh, no, we gone the wrong way. They think not only are we on the path, but if the booby traps are still here, there's still treasure because people haven't got to the other side of them. They haven't been, they haven't been triggered, right? And one of the most profound, that's why I put it in number one, ideas that changed my whole life in my early 20s was finding the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell, understanding that, you know, your life isn't about you either have the talent or you don't but it's about a journey and there are phases in every phase you face a fresh conflict. How you relate to conflict will dramatically change your creative journey and whether you succeed or fail. And it's not just me, it's, you know, people like Dr. Carol Dweck and the growth mindset. It's all about how, what do you do in the face of conflict? And for me, my nature as a creator, I'm not exactly sure why when I hit conflict, conflict, my nature is to be like, it wasn't right. It wasn't meant to be. The stars aren't aligning. Run the other way. And there are times when, you know, you are beating your head against the wall and you're hitting a dead end and you keep going when you shouldn't. There are times like that, you know, there are those people that are on uh, auditioning for uh, American Idol who cannot hit a note. I'm not talking about that kind of conflict. I'm talking about the, the regular conflict that shows up when you're trying to do something new. The regular conflict of traversing the creative wilderness, you know, trying to chart your own path. It's going to come with lots of conflict. They're going to be booby traps. And when you switch your mindset to say booby traps are actually good news, you can develop a healthy relationship to conflict that allows you to go through different levels, break through multiple ceilings. You know, recently I heard in an old Bob Dylan interview him talking about how he had this magic in his early 20s that he's never had after that. And I don't know, you know, part of me was like, that's really cool. The mythology of Bob Dylan in his young days and just the magic of that. And obviously he had all kinds of weird side journeys and, and, and dead ends in his creative practice. It's rich, it's rich story to, to look at. But I wonder if that kind of fixed mindset of I had it then and I don't now is actually the thing stopping him from having it now. Now he's had a bunch of acclaimed albums since then and some of his recent ones, people, there are a lot of people that think they're the best albums he ever made. But at that time when he was saying that, I thought, I think it's that kind of mindset, that kind of fixed mindset where 
we can actually, by the way that we approach our work, by what, you know, one of the things that happens a lot, uh, I love the show Song Exploder on Netflix. It was a podcast turned into a docuseries for Netflix about unpacking massive hit songs with the people that made them and what happened and what went into them. And one of the things you hear often is those big, massive songs are all songs that kind of wrote themselves. And it feels like this supernatural channeling but they're not telling the story of all the crap songs, all the frustrations, all of the tension that led to that release. And I really believe that that conflict, that is the fertilizer. And Seth Godin would say, if you want more good ideas, have more bad ideas. And I have to believe that there is a, there's a relationship to conflict that if you can change and, and, and orient yourself to actually enjoy a challenge creatively, that that is the strongest foundation to build your creative practice on. So that's my first rule, maybe my most important because it embodies the idea of not seeing creativity as a, a supernatural gift on high, but as a journey, as a thing that you develop and get better at. I, I'm so glad that I didn't stay in the skill set and the mindset that I had when I was 20 because I didn't find some of the most important creative pieces to my puzzle until I was 30 didn't even know they were something I could do. And that's the power of seeing it as a journey and seeing the booby traps as part of the process. Number two is live right side out, it, that life is meant to be lived right side out. You know, as an ADHD person, um, there was a long period in my life where I was really just masking who I was. That's the term they use. A lot of people that are autistic or ADHD or neurodivergent in all kinds of ways, they talk about this term masking, where it's uh, trying to appear neurotypical to get by. And I spent so much of my life doing that. And in my older years, now that I'm 35, um, I've spent a lot of years trying to do the opposite, trying to live right side out, trying to show who I am on the outside. And this show, we talk a lot about saying yes to the lifelong journey of finding out who you are, what you're made of, what you're all about, what your story is, what your talents are, what your potential is. You know, you are an alien. There's never, ever, ever been anything like you in the whole universe. And that sounds cheesy. It sounds, you know, uh, I don't know, over the top, but it's actually true. And I, I don't think we take it seriously enough. I don't, and, and I don't think we say yes to that call. That call is the creative call, in my opinion. The creative call is you saying yes to making creative work that expresses who you are, but also excavates. Every time you make something, you learn something new about yourself. Even when you make something that you hate, even when you make something that sucks, you learn something about uh, what your weaknesses are. It, you learn what your bad mindsets are. You learn your taste. You learn like, oh, I don't like that. I thought I was going to like it. I didn't like it. It's self-excavation. You know, I'm a huge fan of uh, Linda Berry, comic artist. She wrote a bunch of books on creativity as well, things like What It Is. And she did a, a recent one about comics. And she said, you know, a lot of people, when they make work, they make it to, to say, this is what I think. This is my answer about this or that or my take on life. And she said, 
For her, a better prompt is often, what question does she have? Now, I love art that makes a statement. I'm all about it. A lot of my art is of that nature. But I also love this idea, this kind of humility that approaches the creative process as, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my place in life is. Who am I? What, whatever the question might be, whether this is right or wrong or just all those things and, and using the creative process to help you dig in, using it as a tool as much as it is an end result or object. And so the creative call to adventure for me is the creative call to finding yourself through the process of creativity, of making stuff. And so one of the core ideas of this show is the idea of living right side out, saying yes to self-awareness, knowing what your strengths are, knowing who you are, and doing so through the process of having a creative habit. Because as you make stuff, you will get to know yourself and you will be able to express yourself. And so at the bottom of this show is this idea of pro being pride, being proud of being a being, being proud of who you are and not trying to overcome yourself, but trying to cultivate who you are through the process of making stuff and, and being curious about yourself. You know, business author, Jim Collins, he's a famous business author. He talks about Jim, the bug, which is this massive express uh, Excel spreadsheet that he's been working on since he was in his college years, where he's looking at himself as a specimen, as a bug, studying the behaviors. I believe that one of the keys, the second key to a thriving creative practice is knowing who you are and taking that journey deadly seriously. Number three is getting high on your own supply, meaning <laughs> making creative work that you want to consume, making creative work through the catalyst of your personal taste. That is a huge belief of mine. I really believe, and, and, and one of the core principles of this show is this idea that creative work is less about talent and more about taste. It's more about, and when I say taste, I don't mean just like, I like this, I don't like that. I mean, using your internal creative palette. You know, if you're a storyteller, if you're a writer, you know, the, the instrument of your practice isn't your words. It's not your fingers on the keyboard. It is the palette of receptors. When you take in story, if you have a uh, a, a nuanced palette, you're going to be able to pick up on how are you achieving these things? How does a writer make you laugh, make you cry? It's that palette, like a tongue, tasting a dish, that internal intuition. As you're receiving things, you're starting to pick up on these things work, these things don't work. And then you use that same palette through the creative process as you're making something. If you have an ear for music, if your taste, if, if your palate, your, ta your creative taste buds are on your eardrum and you're listening to a song, you're feeling out what are the things that go into making this sensation inside of me? How do my favorite musicians make me feel this way? It's not just magic. It, there is a science to it. It's, there's contrast. There's major chords. There's minor chords. There's poetry. There's, you know, analogy. There's all these different ways of creating that sensation. And when you have a nuanced palette, 
you can actually deconstruct those recipes and recreate them with your own anecdotes, with your own stories, with your own experiments. That's what this is. That's what I think creativity is all about. And when you realize that that intuition of your taste is your creative intuition, it's that, well, it's the thing that informs it, that you can make this great work and you can realize I can do the 10,000 hours of practice, not just making my move, my fingers move on the fret of the guitar in a quick way so that I can shred guitar, but so that I can move it in a slow way when that is what I need in a fast way when that's what I need, when it's all about creating a sensation in somebody else. And so I'm, I'm a huge believer in this and it's, and it's about having a point of view, having a definition of good. That's what this episode is about. That thing of Dieter Rams and Karita Kent talking about, this is what I think creativity is about. That's their taste. That's saying, this is my point of view. You know, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, watching performers and, and, you know, watching the great performers go out on stage with all the confidence of this is who I am. This is what I'm saying in this moment even though I know it may not be your thing. I actually feel like that, having a point of view, having a sense of taste, creating from your own creative sensibility, knowing full well that it's not going to be everybody's thing. You know, making this podcast is such an experiment and exercise in that because I know that it's not cool to get on a microphone and spill your freaking guts out and take life seriously. I know that. I've seen TikTok, I've seen every, all the shows, I've seen people on, you know, Jimmy Fallon, I've seen the detached, ironic sense of resignation in terms of life. I know that's the passing point of view that's being celebrated right now, and I know it's the opposite of this show, and I know I'm sure there's times where you listen to the show and you're like, man, if anybody knew that I was listening to this crazy guy right now who's, you know, cry, on the verge of tears and, 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 uh, and excitement at the same time, that they would just think, man, I'm such a weirdo, and I know that as I'm recording it. You know, this creative intuition, as a high school student, I realized like, oh, what's cool in this school is not me. When you have that intuition and you have that point of view and you have that level of self-awareness, you can choose to repress who you are and be what's accepted. And if you do that, you might hit some trends. You might, uh, you know, have some quick wins. You might fit into the crowd, but what's an artist uh, that doesn't stand out? I don't know, but you don't call him an artist. That's what an artist is all, all about is Owning who you are, what your taste is, what your point of view is, despite knowing it's not going to be everybody else's taste. That is the key. Number four is you're lost without a target. You're lost without a target. I really believe this. It's this idea that great creative work is actually tangibly valuable. It has a clear value. I'm a huge believer in this idea of it's a little bit utilitarian in a way that makes me a little uncomfortable in some regards, but I actually think even the most obscure rule breaking creative endeavor that really hits me hard, it still has very tangible value that I can point to. What I mean by this, my point with this, of this idea of you're lost without a target, my point is that I believe that Stand-up comics, and uh, especially, are masters, are able to become masters through hard work and deliberate practice, as Malcolm Gladwell would say. Um, I believe it's possible because 
they have a clear target. What is a stand-up comic shooting at? What's their bullseye? Huge laughs. Not just that, like killing a room, slaying a room, right? Like that's what they're doing that for. And if you're an illustrator and I ask you the same question, I've said this a million times on this show, and you don't have an answer, you're in trouble, but most illustrators don't. If I said, what is an illustrator going for? What's an editorial illustration supposed to do? If you have no idea what bullseye is, not, it doesn't even have to be for every editorial illustrator, but for you. If you don't have that definition of good, like we talked about with taste, how are you ever going to hit it? And so for me, you know, we've told this story a hundred million times on the show, this idea of like, I, I once ran to a tower on my run and I hit it. It was miles away, had no idea how to get there, but I just kept taking the next road that was pointing towards that tower. Having that target, having that tower meant that I could slowly but surely get better and better with marginal gains closer to where I was going and never get lost. And even though I'd gone that path, and even though I, I just ran it and I, and I lived at my home, I couldn't get back home because it wasn't a clear enough target and I got lost. And so for you personally in your creative endeavor, do you have a sense of this is what I'm trying to achieve project to project, but then also over the long haul of the type of creative work that you do? You know, for me, I want to tell stories writing with pictures and with words that make people say yes to life. That's, that's what I'm doing. I want to, I really believe in kind of almost a religion of storytelling that says that what helps people remember why we should stick around, why we should embrace conflict, why we should fight for the, the right to live and breathe and thrive is largely due to the stories that we tell that remind us of those things. You know, life's tragedies remind us of those things, but, but, you know, I don't want us to have to have tragedy to remember why we should say yes to life. And I just believe I, you know, there are the stories, those moments when you're watching, you know, we just watched Encanto, Disney movie, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote all those songs, Jared Bush co-wrote a bunch of my favorites like Moana, Zootopia. It's another one of those. And it, when I finished it, there's those moments at the end where I'm just like crying because I'm like, yes, to, to family and life and, and people and, and pushing through the setbacks. I mean, good Lord, if there wasn't a time in history where we needed some stories that reminded us of what we're made of and why we should fight and why we shouldn't just be afraid. I'm saying we got to take precautions. We got serious stuff going on in the world now and later, but I want to be a part of generation that doesn't just resign in life. You know, we have, uh, humans have always faced so many huge things and I want to be a little tiny spark that helps my community uh, uh, say yes to it and lean into it and say, look, it's worth fighting for. It's worth risking for. It's worth dying for. We're going to die. <laughs> but billions of people have said yes, regardless of that, facing similar things. We've never been more equipped anyway getting off on it. Okay. I, I say no to life four out of seven days a week. Okay. I'm working on it, but that's what I want to be about. That's my target. And I know it's not just like, I want that to be true for my work. I actually have things that I know that artists like Jared Bush and Lin-Manuel Miranda do 
mechanically in their storytelling, in their structure, in the way that they do callbacks or keep everything on the same point or how they create a surprising but inevitable twist. Like those are the things that I'm studying because I understand that's the target. And to get there, you got to reverse engineer, work backwards from there of how does one create that moment? And so uh, you're lost without a target. I, I strongly believe that. Find your target. What kind of emotion, what kind of value, what kind of thing do you want to be able to produce on command as a creator? If you can master something like that, like a stand-up comic does, you can have a career, even when the popular crowd doesn't like you anymore, you can still crush it in Vegas, okay? If you know how to show up into a room and make something magical happen with a movie, with a song, with a, in an art gallery, you are going to be able to thrive in the long haul. Number five, you art what you eat. Okay, I'm a big believer in this idea of creative work as a remix. There's a whole docu-series, little mini docu-series online by Kirby Ferguson. He's actually doing an updated version of this whole thing. And it's just genuinely taking like the most celebrated ideas, the most celebrated movies and music and deconstructing them and showing you that like they're celebrated for their originality, but they're all made up of stuff that came before they, they, yes, they put them in new combinations. They added their twist, but essentially everything is a remix. You get the same thing from people like Austin Kleon, you know, steal like an artist, steal like an artist means there's an artful way of stealing. Then there's a really crappy way of stealing, but I'm not sure there's a way of creating that isn't some form of stealing. You know, I've heard originality is this idea of being able to hide your influences. I am just a huge believer in leaning in to the fact that we are all part of the creative collective conscious. You know, I saw this meme the other day that was just like intellectual property is uh, not real because we're all pulling from the collective conscious. And I don't know if I fully buy into that, but I I pretty much do. I pretty much do. And I actually think that we as creators, one of the things that's really going to trip up our creativity is when we allow ourselves to get bogged down by the lie that anything is completely original. Now, in the same breath, I always want to add, I actually do believe that it is your job and it's your purpose as a creator to filter your story and your new ideas uh, through those influences, add your life experience, add your own takes and wisdom and breakthroughs and personal experiences and experiments. You know, when things go wrong for the right reasons in your creative practice, you know, making that a part of your originality. But I think this idea that you're not standing on the shoulders of giants is just totally ridiculous and very detrimental to your practice. And I think if you go study your heroes, study the greats, you're going to find that almost every single one of them started with mimicking their heroes. You know, one of my favorite stories is the, uh, George Carlin 
you know, throwing off this cardboard cutout of how he used to dress and the old him off the stage and he becomes the George Carlin we know when he really embraces his kind of hippie liberal take that's uh, not family friendly. That's the George Carlin we know. That's the legend. And I think the wrong lesson from that is be yourself. I think the lesson is to find yourself first, you have to be like somebody else. There's nothing like uh, getting in a room of people that are just like you to see how much you are unlike anybody else. And so I actually really strongly encourage people. That's why it's number five on my list to get in a room with people that have this almost exact same tastes, you know, find ways to totally gorge yourself on your hero's work and your hero's hero's works. And let them become a part of you because you are what you eat. The food pyramid of your creativity, the, these things of your, your obscure tastes, your guilty pleasures, your life experiences, all of those things, they go into what you make. And if you constantly are just eating creative junk food, you know, only consuming what's on your social media feeds, you're going to be making junk because you are what you eat. And those little bites of creativity, some of them are really great, but they're not going to ever compare to that book that changed your life. And so you got to make sure you get a balanced diet and that creative health food of books and, and you know, long docu-series and, and great shows and all in, in records and really dive in the deep end if you want to make great stuff. And so I one of the things I want to really encourage you on is to embrace the fact that the things that you consume impact what you create. And that is great. And that's what we want. All right, we're at number six. Uh, no, number six, pedal faster than you're ready for. Uh, over the summer, we did a whole series on overthinking because I became obsessed with this idea of like, look, all the stuff we talk about on the show, they're all ideas I'm either working through or have worked really well for me, but they're all things that get me pumped up. And you know, there are times where ideas actually get in the way of me taking action. You know, every time I'm showing up to the show, I'm telling you something that has helped me go back to the, the literal drawing table and get to work, right? But sometimes you get an idea, you, got, you get thinking, and it actually stops you from making work. And so I wanted to do a whole series on overthinking because I realized that, uh, you know, any I just got paralyzed with this idea of, I hope there's never a time where I give you an idea and it actually stops you from getting to work because that is the key. You know, you've got to pedal faster than you think you're ready for if you're ever going to strike a balance. That came from teaching my son how to ride his bike. I realized like when you're starting to ride your bike, you don't need to think about muscle tension and air resistance and time trials. Like, no, all that stuff is relevant to cycling if you ever want to get really good, right? But... When you're starting out, you got to just pedal faster than you're ready for. You, you got to just get moving. 
if you're ever going to strike a balance. And that's why you need creative habits. Creative habits are all about doing just that. You know, I'm a fan of James Clear and his Atomic Habits ideas. I'm a fan of Twyla Tharp and the Creative Habit, the books that she did. Um, She's a choreographer. And it's all about having a habit is all about eliminating overthinking because a habit is what you do without thinking. It's your automatic behavior. If you can create projects that make making stuff a habit, you are going to be so much more likely to get where you want to go. And part of that means having bad work. I'm a huge believer that your bad work is the fertilizer to the great stuff that grows, right? Like your uh, Seth Godin would say, if you want more good ideas, you got to have more bad ideas. And so I'm a huge believer in you got to pedal faster than you think you're ready for. It's kind of like a chicken or an egg thing because yes, creativity is about self-expression, right? But on this show, we talk about all the time. It's also self-excavation because the best work that you ever make is going to come from a place of knowing who you are. But one of the only ways to find out who you are is making work. So you got to make bad work. It's, it's just part of it. Like I could have easily called number six, make bad work frequently, make sure it's a habit, make sure you're working that muscle. It's, it's a huge part of it. And I actually think, you know, any great, consistently great creator, that's not just, you know, they're not just hot for the minute and they got lucky or they hit a zeitgeist or whatever, but people that have a practice over their lifetime consistently, you're going to find that they find places to have a creative habit to make bad work. You know, comedians do it writing on stage. That's why they make you lock up your phone before you go in the club because it might be terrible. And, you know, they don't necessarily want that to be following them, but I am a huge, huge believer in it. You got to pedal faster than you feel you're ready for. If you're ever going to strike the balance you're looking for in your creative practice. Number seven, and I, I'll be honest with you out of all the rules, this is the, the, the title that I like the least, but it's one of the ideas that I'm most sure about. Okay. So give me a little grace. I'm riding on stage myself here. <laughs> Number seven is aim with one beanbag. I, I mean, I kind of like it as I'm saying it, but the idea here, aim with one beanbag. I'm from the Midwest, Indiana boy, now living in Ohio. And we play cornhole in the summer, okay? Get, grab a beer and grab a couple bean bags and get a board with a hole in it and throw them at it. That's what we do. That's, that's the sophistication um, of a party in Columbus, Ohio. And here's the thing. If you know anything about cornhole, you know, if you want to win, you're not going to take all three bean bags and throw them at the same time at the hole. Why not? Because you're not going to get the kind of precision that you need. Okay, you're not going to be able to aim three bean bags at the same time. <laughs> uh, I just thought about maybe the editor, Connor. Yeah. You could just take that aim three bean bags at the same time, turn it into a little jingle. I don't know if you make that kind of music. Okay. Um, just put it on repeat. You're not going to be able to aim three bean bags at the same time. If you want to win, aim three bean bags at the same time. Okay. Aim three, aim three, aim three bean bags at the same time. Uh, you want to win, aim three bean bags at the same time. Anyway, you, it's very, you can't aim three things at once, right? It's impossible to do, but that's what we try to do when we show up to the metaphorical canvas and try to make something for a th- not just three people, not just aim in three. 
We try to do a thousand. We try to do a million. We try to appeal to humanity with our creative work. And it's impossible to aim that many places at the same time. If you want to get good, you got to go small. You got to go precision and actually think that uh, not only is this the way that you hit a target, you know, for me, some of my best work came from when I knew I had a buddy in the audience and I did a joke just for them. Like sometimes that little tiny bit of precision meant that I could actually hit the target. And that ends up being the thing that everybody likes. And sometimes you're your best target. Stephen King would say, every good book is really just a love letter to one person. It's just like I wrote this as a gift. If you really light them up, if you make them cry, if you know how to press those buttons, that is going to apply to a whole bunch of other people. And so the aim with one beanbag is all about this idea of what Seth Godin, again, going back to the the one of the masterminds in the marketing, in my opinion, ph philosophical world of what it means to make meaningful work in this era, uh, he would say that, you know, you really don't want to shoot for the biggest audience. You want to shoot for the smallest viable audience. Who is the least amount of people that you could create for and still remain viable? If you, and it's not even that, it's not that you're shooting for the smallest to stay small even. You're shooting for the smallest because it's going to give you the precision you need. And actually, I'm a huge believer that focusing on the small, the small connections is actually a great end to have the, you know, if you're viable, you're viable. That's a great end, but it's also an incredible means. It's a play. It will take you places. You know, if you study how ideas spread, the diffusion of innovation, it starts with making something that millions of people are like, oh, I, that's cool. No, you make something for a small group of people that are crazy about what you do. You're never going to get a hole in one throwing three beanbags. And that's what it's, that's what's required for some idea to kick off and spread is a hole in one, not just hitting the cornhole board. Okay. A cornhole in one, <laughs> not in three. And, and, and so I'm a huge believer that he also says, Seth Godin says that fame is not an indicator of quality. You know, I grew up and I, I really got into creative work because of indie music. Like that's, that was my way into band posters and illustration. And then, you know, it led to all kinds of other stuff, picture books and all the stuff I'm doing now, but it started with indie music. And, and one of the things I think was incredible about indie music and why it went from this obscure thing in the eighties and probably Britain to what it became at its height was this core value of the smallest viable audience a core value of saying not just fame or, or widespread success isn't an indicator of quality. It actually might be an indicator of lack of quality. You know, indie, the whole ethos of it was saying, if it's big, it's bad. Now, not going that far. I actually like a lot of mainstream stuff, okay? Yeah, I just cried to Spider-Man No Way Home. I bawled my eyes out. Okay, bawled my eyes out. That's that's taking it too far. I did nearly bawl my eyes out watching Encanto, uh, the Disney movie. So I, you know, I like mainstream stuff too, but I think as a creator, you got to develop this ethos that says, look, uh, small might mean it's better and shoot small. And, and go for that specific target. And no, it's a great place to end up, but it also might be a means to bigger and better things down the road. Okay, number eight is embrace the seasons. 
I'm a huge believer in this idea that creative work at its best is non-dual. It's not this or that, it's both and. You know, that's one of the reasons I love that Niels Bohr quote of the opposite of a profound truth might be another profound truth. I, because it's true, because it might be a profound truth that what you need to do right now is plant seeds. Like you gotta be planting seeds. But sometimes, you know, someone's on stage at a conference telling you to plant seeds and you're in the time to harvest. And it's the opposite of a profound truth. You need to go to the other side of the spectrum. You know, creativity can be both exploratory. I think that's what most of us think it is, is like trying new things, breaking the mold, thinking outside the box, like exploring possibility, man, like treating your creativity like a kind of Ouija board where you're like, I don't know where the paintbrush is going. That kind of thing. Like that is creativity. I'm down for that. I, that's a profound truth, man. But I'll tell you what another profound truth is. Creativity can be strategic. You know, creativity can be solving a puzzle. You know, one of the most creative things I've ever seen is the movie Knives Out by Ryan Johnson. It all comes together in the end in this satisfying way. The only way to do that is to start with the end and work backwards, write the script kind of backward or the screenplay backwards, right? Like that's how you're going to get that satisfying end. That's a strategic thing. Exploratory says, we're going to start not knowing where we're going. Strategic creativity says, we're going to start with the end in mind and work backwards. Both are profound truths. Creativity is both. And there's a season for all those different things. And knowing what season you're in is incredibly powerful. You know, I'm not the first to say it. Sister Corita Kent, she was about seeing creativity as all these different seasons. There's times for new stuff. There's times for digging into the old stuff. Austin Kleon, Todd Henry, all kinds of people have talked about creativity as seasons. I'm not the person who came up with it, but it is one of my core values for sure. You know, there, I am a big believer in this pulsing energy. There is a time. What I love about creative projects is that they are both, um, they're a great way to embrace the profound truths of grit and pivot. Because when you do a project, you say, I'm going to do this for this amount of time, no matter how well it goes. When I started this podcast, I was like, I'm going to do a hundred episodes, even if it's just my mom listening, but to be honest, she wouldn't listen to this. <laughs> Even if no one's listening, I'm going to do hundred episodes, you know, and there were other projects where I had smaller markers, but this is one that I was ready to take a bigger bet on. And that was that level of grit, but it wasn't just grit because just keep going no matter what is also terrible advice as well as incredible advice. It's terrible advice to that person on American Idol that can't hit a note. That's the worst advice you could give them, Right. Because it's seasonal, it's non-dual, there's different times for different things, it's both and. And so project-based creativity is great because it can also incorporate the fact that at the end of a season of grit, it might be time to for a season of pivot. You know, there are a lot of creative projects I did before this podcast where after my little initial project, I was like, never doing that again. I did a project where I did new book covers for the public domain, uh, books for the public domain, Wizard of Oz, 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Moby Dick, all that kind of stuff. Someone, after I did the Moby Dick one online was like, how'd you like the book? And I was like, oh, I guess I was supposed to read the book. <laughs> I never read the book because I don't read fiction. And I was like, it took me doing five of those pieces to realize like, this is not authentic. This is not me. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't dug in with some grit. 
And it, and so I'm a huge believer in knowing what is in season for you and knowing when you're out of season, knowing when it's time to shift it up and knowing that even a creative process of one piece has a pulsing energy. There is a time for, you know, you can't write and edit at the same time. So many writers talk about that. And I found that to be true. And you can set up the constraints with your left brain. You can explore with your right brain while you're in it, playing around, no judgment, you know, having fun as the only goal. And then you can go back on the left brain at the end and pulse the other way and say, now it's time to edit this thing. But you can't do all of those things at the same time. You can't, those are opposite ideas and they're both true. And, and there's a time and place for them within the creative process. There's a time and place for them within the creative journey at, uh, over your lifetime. Number nine is true over new. Okay. What this is about for me is that creative work is primarily about sustenance. And I'm a huge believer that you need to make the main thing the main thing. When you forget what the main thing is, you get distracted, you get self-conscious, you get indecisive, you get in your head, you, you, you know, you're, uh, you get into FOMO, you get comparison, all that kind of stuff. All when you forget what this is about. And for me, creativity is about sustenance, spiritual soul sustenance that keeps us going. You know, storytelling is like almost my religion of like, we need stories to be the best possible versions we can be. Without them, we're uninspired. Without them, we forget what life is about until someone dies. You know, we forget what life is about until someone dies. No, we don't have to do that with a story, with art, with sustenance. If we are keeping that creativity pumping in and out of us, breathing it in and out, like we can remain, we can be our best self. We have a shot at it at least. Okay. And, and the thing about that is, you know, like food, creativity is sustenance. Okay. And, and if you thought food was about what I think a lot of people think creativity is about, which is about newness freshness, originality, you might go hungry if you thought that was the point. You're like, no, I only eat the apple while it's still hanging from the tree because I got to get the fresh, I got to get the cutting edge before, you know, when, before it even drops, I, <laughs> I consumed it, right? If that's what you think creativity is about, I actually think you're going to get lost because guess what? There's nothing new under the sun, Okay. Now I believe in new ideas. Honestly, like the best thing that happens in your practice is when you stumble upon something that is authentically you, that you put it in a way that's never been said. Like I get that. I'm all about that. I love that. But sometimes if I forget that it's not all about that, when I forget that, you know, even the new stuff actually has some true stuff from that's a combination of other ideas or, or things that came before me, I can get really in my head. When I get in this place where I think creativity is not about sustenance, but about showing the world something that they've never seen, I can get so balled up in anxiety because I'm not making the main thing the main thing. Liz Gibbler would say... Originality is really impressive, but like authenticity is what moves you. And that moving, that is what creativity is about. Now, you don't want to eat some creative stuff, some creative sustenance that's gone off. You know, stuff that's just rehashed old stuff, rip offs, like that's the stuff that's going to give you creative food poisoning. 
It's just bad for you. It's bad for your soul. You don't want that, but don't forget that's not what it's about. It's about sustenance. You know, I'm a huge fan of Tim Robinson, his show, I Think You Should Leave. I mentioned on the podcast before, one of the things that blows me away is when he's in an interview and the interview is trying to get him to go off topic, trying to get him to, you know, not make the main thing. The main thing of a comedy show is laughs. And they'll be like, how did you know this joke was going to be good the second time? He's like, well, it made us laugh more the second time we told it, so we did it. How did you know that this inappropriate lowbrow humor was not going to be just dumb? Uh, and he's like, well, I didn't know it wasn't going to be dumb. I just knew that when we did it, I thought it was funny. And I'm like, boom, make the main thing the main thing. The main thing is creativity is something that humans need. And creatives need to participate in that. They need to get it out of themselves. They need to create these things. Make your stuff fresh. You know, make it fresh, make it organic, creative produce, but don't get so caught up on it being unlike anything the world has ever seen. I actually think that's a terrible definition of creativity. You know, when the world thinks about what's creativity, I think they go, it's stuff that no one's ever seen, man. And I'm like, that's just not the right place to show up to the desk, to the easel uh, for me. Um, I got to do it because I, you know, I'm participating in a tradition. I'm, I'm participating in a community. I'm doing my part. I'm speaking my, my truth more than I am saying something that's never been said. You know what I mean? So that's, that's number nine for me. True over new. All right, number 10, we've already talked about it a little bit, but I want to dive in. This is one of my biggest ones. And number 10 is writing on stage as a huge part of your practice. Writing on stage, of course, if you've listened to this show for very long, you I probably say it every episode because it's such a big part of my creative ethos. It's the idea of like comedians come up with some ideas and they go into the club on a regular basis and they test them out with new audiences. You know, what I love about this is I think we can all agree that stand-up comedy is like one of the greatest art forms there is. I, I think it's, it's having a moment right now uh, with its storytelling. And my favorite side of it is the, uh, what me and my friends call lay down tragedy, which is the opposite of stand-up comedy, which is just like storytelling that makes you cry instead of laugh. <laughs> and it's kind of having this weird flirtation with stand-up and one person shows, and it's just a beautiful thing. And if you've ever been in a, if you ever watch a special or you ever been in a comedy club or watch a show and they're really masters, you can feel like nothing hits harder. Nothing is like more like a type of magic than that. And so if we can agree on that, like great comedy is like otherworldly, like if they're really doing it, then I think we have to agree that there's something about their practice that they got right. And actually you can see this in other people's practices in different mediums. But one of the things that they do religiously is test material. And I, and I highlight this, you know, a lot of these things on this list are things that are kind of counterintuitive or counter cultural in terms of the prevailing accepted creative mythology, because we have really for, you know, the past hundred years or so, I would say from, from the, po the philosophy podcast I frequent, um, they talk about like the Frankfurt school talking about like the true artist is, you know, alone in a cave and doesn't care what their audience thinks. And look again, embrace the seasons. 
there's a time and place to go in that cave, baby. I'm all about it, actually. I think that there are, there's a time and place. Like, I think your diary, amazing place to just get it all out. But I actually think creative work is more than just publishing your diary. And I actually think as someone who, you know, has been in therapy and, and, and worked through a lot of stuff, I actually think that, you know, boundaries are good. Like, I don't know if you should be. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not here to judge you, but I don't know if, you know, for me, I don't feel like I can give my audience everything. I don't think that's really a great idea. So there's a distinction there, but there's a time for the cave and there's a time for standing on the rock in front of people and saying, hey, this thing means a lot to me. I'm going to see if I articulated it in a way that hits home for you. And if not, I want to go back and work on it until I figure out how. And so for me, writing on stage is a huge part of my practice. Uh, and it, yeah, we do it here on the podcast. A lot of stuff we work through on here becomes, you know, books or, or other forms of content or classes. We also, I write on stage with my illustration because every week I write on stage by creating an illustration that's episode art for this podcast and put it on Instagram. And then after the year of doing 40, some of those, we select cherry pick 40 of those tracks for our album that is the Creative Pep Talk calendar, which is on sale now, creativepeptalk.etsy.com. Well, um, we still have a few of those. Um, and it's a piece that I'm really proud of. You know, it's my best stuff from the year. But it, I wouldn't have, you know, a fraction of those if I hadn't made all the stuff that I hated this year writing on stage and publishing it and getting it out there, right? Every time I push publish, I'm pretty proud of what I made. I don't, I don't just put crap out there. I'm always trying, but sometimes, you know, a few weeks later, I'm like, ah, oh, that was, I was out of, I was out of sync, um, in some way or another. And one of the only ways to really know, to get to that place of clarity is to get it out there and, and see how it hits and see how you felt. It's not just even about, it's not even just about how the audience responds. It's about how did you feel on stage? Did it feel authentic? Did you feel passionate? Did you, did it, cause you don't even know until you get it out there and try it. And so I'm a huge, huge believer in this idea that art is a communication. It's a connection. Uh, I think for people that want a lifelong practice, um, again, this is maybe one profound truth, I hope. <laughs> and there's, there's the other side of profound truth. There are artists that don't do it this way, but for me and talking about wanting it to be a practice and wanting it to be a lifelong journey where I'm getting better. One of the key pieces of deliberate practice is regular work, but also regular feedback. And, and, uh, and that's what the, where the communication connection piece comes in. You know, they do studies of someone in isolation. You put that person in that cave for too long. They actually lose their sense of self when they're not around other people. There's no self to express. And I think we're more interconnected than any of us really even fully understand. And I think we need that connection on a regular basis with our creative habits to unlock our true potential. And that's why that writing on stage is a 10 on my list. All right, that's my list. I'll read them real quick, and then I'm going to give you a CTA, your call to adventure, your call to action, your little easy, quick win, kind of let's do this thing uh, for this episode. Number one is booby traps mean treasure. Number two Live right side out. Number three, get high on your own supply. 
Number four, you're lost without a target. Number five, you art what you eat. Number six, I love these things, okay? <laughs> That's not number six. I just, these are my, this is, this is my list. Uh, six, pedal faster than you're ready for. Seven, aim with one beanbag. I said that one with more confidence this time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's, if that's it. Eight, embrace the seasons. Nine, true over new. And 10, writing on stage. Your CTA, your call to adventure for this episode in your creative journey is to start working on your 10. You know, you don't look, the whole thing is like, uh, you know, rejecting the ideas of others and embracing your own, like take some of mine. I don't, yeah, make some of them your own, but some of these don't apply to you. That's cool. Do your own list, see where it takes you, see if you can start. And, you know, I've been working on this. These things came through doing this podcast for almost coming up on eight years. You know, you're not going to get them overnight. You might not get 10 right away. You might only have a couple that you are really sure about. And it's a, it's a living document. You can edit them out. If I made this list five years ago, I'd have totally different stuff on it. I'd only have a few that I'd, uh, that I'd are, that would remain to today. So go for it. Write your list, publish on Instagram, tag me. If it's like Instagram stories or stuff, um, love to check them out. Um, make your top 10 rules of creativity. All right, that is it for another week. I hope it's pepped you to the max. I hope if you're a longtime listener um, that you really searched your soul for which of these things do you need to uh, implement again, which of these spoke to you. If you're, you are a longtime listener and one of these spoke to you more than it, has before or there's some new flavors uh hit me up and tell me about it on uh instagram on the comments of the episode art um i'd love to hear which of these is your favorite um you can find me at and dj pizza massive thanks to yoni wolf and the band y for our soundtrack huge thanks to connor jones of pending beautiful for editing this show so beautifully and huge thanks for content assistance, as always, to Ryan Appleton and uh, Sophie Miller. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.